Hello and welcome to another episode of Jade Talk Stuff. In this, I'll be talking about water. Before you go, what? That's boring. Hear me out. To the average person in a modern city, if you need water, of course, you go to a tap, you turn it on, and there you have it. All the water you need, hot and cold, any time of the day. But how many of you actually know or even think about where that water comes from? I felt compelled to record this particular episode because I recently visited Warragamba Dam, which is the biggest and also the main dam in Sydney. And the catchment area that fills the dam covers a massive area, taking in much of the Blue Mountains and the South Coast. Warragamba itself provides 85% of Sydney's water, and a desalination plant is capable of producing the rest of the 15% of drinking water requirements. There are other backup dams, including Lake Woodford in the Blue Mountains and Warrenora Dam on the Central Coast, but Warragamba Dam is the main one. But it's not just water from the tap for drinking. Agriculture and industry requires huge amounts of water to grow food. We don't necessarily think about how much water is used to create stuff. For example, it takes on average 35 litres of water to grow the tea leaves in one cup of tea. It takes 94 litres of water to create one can of soft drink. And if ever there's a reason for becoming a vegetarian, one kilo of beef requires an astonishing 22,000 litres of water. When you compare this to a kilo of potatoes, which uses only 300 litres of water to produce. The reason why it's important to know this is drought is affecting much of New South Wales and Queensland, as well as other parts of Australia. On a recent road trip down to Victoria, there was entire lakes that didn't exist because there was no water and they hadn't received any for years. Whilst the circle of water is an ongoing process, whatever water we have on the planet is all there will ever be. It doesn't arrive from outer space, it doesn't fall from meteorites, there's just the ocean, rivers and the remaining ice at the poles which is rapidly diminishing. Of all the water on Earth, 97% is in the oceans. 2% is in snow and ice, which leaves only 1% in rivers, lakes and dams, and that is for all human consumption, as well as agriculture and industry. We take for granted that we can go to a tap and have water whenever we need it. But 40% of the world's population has no regular or easy access to clean drinking water. Without water, we die, pure and simple. We can go three weeks without food, but only three days without water which is why it's important to know where our water comes from and where possible to preserve as much at home, both in usage and storage of rainwater. It's been estimated that it takes 1.4 litres of water to produce one litre of commercial bottled water. However, that's not taking into account water used to obtain the materials required to produce the bottle, along with shipping to the destination, the electricity required to keep it cold, and then the energy required to recycle the bottle. It could be up to three litres of water used to produce one litre bottle of water. A recent study on the Australian documentary series War on Waste, when comparing mineral content and chemical makeup of different bottled waters, found most were not that different to tap water, and one brand produced almost exactly the same results as tap water in that region. So essentially, it was likely to be bottled tap water and marketed as something like pure local water. But it's not just the environmental impacts. In 2015, California was in a severe drought 
and Nestle had bought the rights to have virtually unlimited access to local water. Even during the height of the drought, it was bottling local spring water to sell back to locals at triple the price it was paying the government to use that water. It should also be noted that locals were facing severe restrictions, yet here was an international corporation who still managed to profit from their desperate situation. A quick Google search will reveal multiple articles about this, but I received my information from a BBC News article. We're lucky that in Australia we have high quality tap water that doesn't require filtering. So when you look at the cost of bottled water plus the wastage of actual water required to produce the bottle it comes in, it's a no-brainer to take a refillable bottle from home filled with tap water. I've seen some councils put public water stations in areas frequented by pedestrians to encourage people to refill their own bottles. And these are generally well marked and are more hygienic than the old bubblers or drinking fountains where barely a trickle of water comes out. Perhaps we need to encourage councils and governments to make drinking water stations which use tap water more prevalent to discourage the use of single-use plastic bottles. But This episode isn't just about yelling at you for buying bottled water. No, it's way bigger than that. So now you know fresh water is limited, and with climate change, drought is affecting more and more of the planet. So this is where things get interesting. If you haven't listened to my Travelosophy podcast, this is sort of related to episode four where I talk about China and the immense engineering projects it has created, and the fact that China plans decades and centuries in advance. So... Back in the 1950s, China declared Tibet as part of China. Previously, it had been a semi-autonomous region. Tibet has a much more complicated history, but for the purpose of this podcast, I'm just referring to what's happened in recent years, since China officially declared Tibet part of China. If you're unaware of any of this, and this is all brand new for you, watch the movie Seven Years in Tibet with Brad Pitt, which is about the Dalai Lama and his escape into political exile into India as a result of China taking over Tibet. Now, China doesn't plan in short stints. They plan hundreds of years at a time. So whatever they're doing now is for golds decades and centuries from now. But if you have Netflix, there's a documentary called The Future of Water, which explains more of this in detail. But basically, as I mentioned, China took over Tibet in the 50s, and it's only starting to come to light now what their original purpose was. Not only does Tibet have mineral resources, but it's also where China's major rivers all start, up in the Himalayas, which form part of Tibet. But it's not just the Yangtze and the Yellow River that China now has control over. The major rivers and waterways that feed into India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Laos and Vietnam all begin their journey in the glaciers and snows of Tibet. Why is this important? Because if China controls the region the water comes from, it can then control the flow of water and redirect it elsewhere. Already, it's created the largest hydroelectric dam in the world, the Three Gorges Dam, that was 100 years in the making. And in 2015, China completed another hydroelectric dam on the Brahmaputra River, which flows from Tibet into India and Bangladesh. China has plans for dozens of dams in the region, It's not just about hydroelectricity. There is talk that China is looking at building a system to divert water into western China, which is predominantly arid desert, in order to turn it into farmland and grow more crops. So technically, now that Tibet is part of China, everything is within its own borders. 
but it has the potential to greatly affect the livelihoods and the water supplies of other countries like India, Bangladesh and Vietnam. It's important to note that in no way am I trying to project an anti-China sentiment, not in any way whatsoever. I'm merely providing information on projects that are either planned or already in place. So now the dams China is building are not necessarily for water storage, but they are primarily hydroelectric, which still allows water to flow through. So it's not like they're totally stealing all the water. But, you know, setting up a dam can still influence the flow of the water downstream. But the dam they built on the Brahmaputra River, they apparently denied it was happening, even after contracts had been awarded, which then begs the question, why are they being so cagey about it? I mean, I guess they knew there might be some conflict or protests, so they were trying to avoid that, but it still makes you wonder. So, as countries in South and Southeast Asia have their main water supplies affected by China, of course, with that comes money and power. Already, due to climate change, Vietnam experienced a period of drought, and in 2016 had to formally ask China to release water from a hydroelectric dam in Yunnan province, which feeds into the Mekong River to allow it to have water to overcome its shortages. It's not just China. A similar situation has occurred in Australia. There's two major rivers on the eastern side, the Murray and the Darling, and much of the water is being diverted upstream to be used for agricultural purposes, which is of course greatly affecting the amount of water that residents and farms see downriver. In some cases, the riverbed is completely dry. One of the growing concerns is illegal and unmonitored wells. There are reports of this happening globally, But in Iran, governments recently uncovered 14,000 illegal wells, all dipping into the water table. But it's not just farmers. According to an article in the Daily Tribune, in June 2018, it was found out that PepsiCo had set up multiple illegal deep wells within their factory in the Philippines, and shopping centres and other factories have been found to be doing the same. Besides the loss of water, Lowering the water table can affect the stability of buildings and roads and even cause sinkholes. Now, it may seem unrelated, but remember back in 2008 when companies left and right were going bankrupt due to the global financial crisis? And if you've seen the movie The Big Short, you'll know what I'm getting to. But if you haven't seen the movie, basically it describes in plain English how the global financial crisis happened, but it also showed the small group of investors that saw it coming who profited immensely from it because they bet that the financial crisis would happen. And the banks were like, sure, we'll take your money because that's never going to happen. But of course it did. And one of the investors, Dr. Michael Bury, who made a lot of money out of it for his investors and himself, then reinvested all his money in water, knowing that with changing weather patterns and more extremes, water was going to become scarcer and the distribution of food is going to be affected by this. Either way, it's a scary thought. Especially when you have places like the Aral Sea in Kazakhstan, which have almost completely dried up, primarily due to diversion for agriculture. There's boats stuck in what is now just sand that was previously a sea. But it's not just the lack of water that's a concern. Large bodies of water affect climate around them. And with dust storms more likely, towns that surrounded the lake have become virtually unlivable. We're lucky in Australia, as underground lies a huge artesian basin filled with fresh water. It's so large it covers roughly 20% the size of Australia. Through wells and bores, it provides water to dry, arid regions, allowing those areas to sustain towns and farms. But that doesn't mean you can't monitor your water usage at home. 
keep a storage tank or set up a grey water storage tank for reusing shower water or water from washing machines back onto the garden. And most importantly, quit buying bottled water. Japanese and Korean homeware shops, they often have really nice glass bottles uh, that can be used for hot and cold beverages because they like to drink tea. Uh, so it's really easy to pick up glass bottles uh, to take with you with filled with tap water. If you live near a dam, I highly recommend going to check it out. Oregamba Dam in Sydney is free and they have videos about the construction you can watch. Plus you can actually walk onto the dam wall. There's also a bunch of kids activities as well. Last time I was in China, I visited the Three Gorges Dam and there's different viewpoints you can access to take in the dam and it's in its entirety. It's monumentally huge. I mean, it's the largest engineering project on the planet. So, as you could imagine, it's massive on a grand scale. So, thank you very much for listening to Jade Talk Stuff. If you love travel, then please check out my other podcast, Travelosophy, which is about life lessons learnt from travel. If you'd like to access bonus podcast episodes and receive access to exclusive content like handwritten copies of my poetry and postcards, then head to my Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com forward slash Jade Jackson. Make sure you check out all my travel blog posts on my website, which is jadejackson.com.au. And of course, if you have comments or suggestions or questions, you can tweet me at jdkinsjackson. Thank you so much for listening to Jade Talk Stuff. Bye-bye now.